0: real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: When we were kids, my dad took the whole family to do an overnight tenting trip on the next lake over from where our cabin was. The other lake was about a mile portage in and had no road access. This lake was about as remote as you can get. That night, around dusk, three drunk guys show up in a boat stating the tiny island we were camping on used to be theirs. They came and made small talk, but they were creepy as f. I was maybe 10 or 12, and my dad just happened to be cutting wood when they pulled up. He didn't put the axe down for the rest of the night. In the end, nothing happened, but I have no idea who they were or where they came from. This is a strange story, but interesting nonetheless, so I thought I should share it to see if anybody could do anything with it. I have a videotape of my great-grandma from when I was kid. She was sitting around with her sisters talking about old stories from when they were kids. One sister started talking about a story her father, my great-great-grandpa, made her promise to never talk about. But since she was over 90 years old, she didn't think it mattered anymore. She was very flustered still just talking about it. The best we can tell, this event took place in the Logansport, Indiana area in approximately the 1890s or so. My great aunt was taking food to her father and grandfather, working the fields all day as she did every day. She would take a horse and cart out to where they were working, have lunch, then come back home. On this particular day, she could not find her father or grandfather. She then heard them yelling at her to get inside the woods nearby and hide. She complied, and that's where they began telling her that they had been watching some sort of flying machine that didn't make any sort of noise flying around the field. They supposedly watched little people get out of the craft and take pieces of corn and soil. Then they flew away. The uncle and father had been hiding in the woods for some time, afraid to leave. All the people in the video have now passed on, but my grandma, who is now in her mid-80s, The daughter in the story's niece gave me this tape because she was curious if I could find any other reports from that time frame of anybody reporting the same sort of thing. I have the tape of the story and that's about it. It's just a story, but interesting. I've seen a lot of the usual stuff out in northwestern Canada, but the only thing that made me really think twice about going into the woods out there was not wanting to find a body. There are dozens, hundreds, of unsolved missing persons cases out there, many of them indigenous women, but some men and white people as well. There are signs up everywhere with information about the missing. I hope they're found and their families find some closure but I dreaded being the one to come across the corpse. The other thing that made me think twice was the bullet holes everywhere. Blowing holes in highway signs is bad, but these F-heads would shoot up outhouses. Nothing like taking a dump and counting the bullet holes in front of your face. Canada has some stricter gun laws than the States, but people still make bad decisions. So nothing really spooky, just people. I used to spend weekends and summers hunting alongside my grandfather when I was in middle school. He taught me the ways of the woods the patience required and the respect for nature. It was a bonding experience, one that I cherished deeply. One autumn afternoon, as the sun cast a golden glow upon the forest, I took aim and shot a doe, my first successful hunt. The crack of the rifle echoed through the trees, and I felt a mix of excitement and pride wash over me. Little did I know that this experience would forever change my perspective on hunting. As I approached the fallen doe, ready to field dress and prepare it for consumption, I noticed movement out of the corner of my eye. A fawn no larger than a puppy emerged from the underbrush. It had been hidden, obscured by the tall grass in the shadows of the forest the realization hit me like a punch to the gut. I had unknowingly orphaned this young creature. The fawn stood there, its innocent eyes wide with confusion and fear. It emitted a series of high-pitched cries almost like mournful wails as if desperately trying to wake its mother from an eternal slumber. My heart shattered into a million pieces as I watched this tiny creature grieve the loss of its parent. In that moment, the thrill of the hunt vanished replaced by an overwhelming sense of guilt and remorse. I couldn't bear witness to this heartbreaking scene any longer. Tears welled up in my eyes as I made the decision that would shape my future. I vowed to never hunt again. My grandfather, understanding the weight of the situation, put his hand on my shoulder, offering silent support. He too had witnessed the emotional toll that hunting could exact. We carried the doe back to our truck in silence, our spirits heavy with sorrow. From that day forward I turned away from hunting and embraced a different path. A path that involved appreciating and protecting wildlife rather than taking their lives. I dedicated myself to conservation efforts, learning about the delicate balance of ecosystems and the importance of coexisting with the natural world. That encounter with the fawn, remains one of the saddest experiences of my life. It serves as a constant reminder of the profound impact we have on the lives of animals and the responsibility we bear as stewards of the earth. Though I will never hunt again, I strive to ensure that future generations appreciate and preserve the beauty and wonder of our natural world my first time hunting in a deer stand by myself as opposed to hunting with my father, I was fourteen at the time and very excited to be trusted to hunt alone. Well, being the stupid fourteen-year-old I was, I forgot to bring a flashlight and had to walk about one quarter mile down a trail to the main trail where I would get picked up. So there I am walking down this dark trail in the middle of the woods alone. I am not scared of the dark, but naturally it is very quiet, and any normal human would be a touch jumpy. Well, what I didn't know at the time was the turkeys sleep in the top of trees. I just assumed they spent their whole life on the ground and only flew when absolutely necessary. So imagine my surprise when I walk directly underneath one and feed over my head. A full-grown turkey takes off full speed through the top of the tree, yelping. I physically jumped in the air and absolutely froze with fear. My 14-year-old brain could not find the directory with turkey listed as a possible outcome, so for 10 seconds I was completely frozen in fear, trying to figure out what I'd just heard. Needless to say, when I told the story to my dad later, he got the biggest laugh out of it and explained to my city, boy self, that turkeys sleep in treetops. Texas Hunter here. I've been hunting for a few years, so I've seen my fair share of weird shit. Mutilated rabbits killed by coyotes, among other things. Bobcat screams are also pretty freaky. But one day, while walking on my property through the woods, I heard some branches quietly break about 30 yards ahead. Nothing too weird about that as rabbits and coyotes bump into them all the time. It happened again, but this time a little close, and to my right side. I unholstered my point forty five XDAS. I like the compact version because it feels better. Ready to shoot a hungry coyote. The day before, my neighbor told me how a few women in Little Elm got mauled by some pissed-off coyotes a few days earlier. So I was ready to shoot. Anyways, I shined my flashlight through the trees and didn't see anything. Kept walking but a little faster, and I heard a high scream with low undertones. Didn't sound like nothing I've ever heard before. I swear it sounded like a bobcat eff Batman. Took off sprinting back to my house a mile or so away. I'm near the woods tree line and look back to see a hunched shadow 40 yards behind staring at me, like a person trying to walk on all fours. It was dark, so it might have been my imagination, noped the F out and got to my house, never seen it since and didn't sleep for a few nights. At the time I wasn't hunting, I liked to go for nighttime walks to clear my head, but I'd never go without my gun. Stay safe and be careful because I don't know what it was. Have you ever heard about the real stories of Okinawa ghosts? Having personally experienced numerous eerie moments while working in the now-abandoned Naval Hospital, Okinawa, I can attest to the lingering presence of the supernatural. The hospital, now a mere empty shell, stands on Camp Lester, but its basement harbors a haunting secret, an enduring reminder of its gruesome past. Bloodstains still mar the walls, bearing witness to the horrors that once unfolded within. During my fourth year, just before my permanent change of station, PCS, I had a spine-chilling encounter. One of the janitors, a sweet elderly Japanese man who had been a part of the hospital for decades, took me down to the basement. He revealed to me that it had been the morgue, a place where he had witnessed unspeakable sights. He recounted how he had painstakingly collected body parts that had fallen out of the body bags. The gruesome memories of the hospital's early days had left an indelible mark on his soul. However, it was my own personal experience on the fifth deck ramp that truly sent shivers down my spine. I often ascended the stairs to assist with labor and delivery, and the hospital had ramps in place to facilitate movement during typhoons or elevator malfunction. It was on one such occasion that I found myself transporting a peacefully sleeping mother to the postpartum ward. As I glanced out of the window, an image froze me in my tracks. A head, a floating head, right outside the window. The sight was undeniably terrifying. Others had witnessed it too, confirming my belief that I was not alone in this eerie encounter. Yet despite the corroboration of others, I could not shake off the feeling of unease that gripped me whenever the memory resurfaced. In my mind, I attributed it to the exhaustion and sleep deprivation that often plagued those who worked within the hospital's haunted halls. While backpacking through Yellowstone, my girlfriend and I found ourselves in grizzly territory for the first time. Black bears didn't bother us much, but grizzlies were a whole different story. After a tiring day of hiking, we set up camp for our second night. We cleaned up, had dinner, hung our scented items and food, and settled into bed. In the depths of my REM sleep, my girlfriend suddenly shook me awake, terrified by the sound of growling. Convinced that a bear had invaded our campsite, she had been gripped by fear. Instantly, I snapped awake, adrenaline quirking through my veins, ready for fight or flight. Without hesitation, I reached for the bear spray. For a tense minute, we sat in absolute silence, and then we heard the growling again. To our surprise, it wasn't a bear. It was something similar to Sasquatch. It was tall, hairy, bipedal, and human-like. Startled by our presence, he quickly fled the scene. It was November 2012 when I was working at a small gas station in northeast Louisiana. We were the only small shop and 24-hour service station in miles, just off the highway. I worked the night shift. I loved it, the sharing of stories with the traveling customers. That is when the rare customers showed up. It must have been around 3 a.m. I was cleaning the floors and locking the beer coolers when suddenly the lights went out. I pulled out my cell and used it as a guiding light until I made it back to our counter where I kicked on the gas generator. It lit the parking lot, the bath, and the hall leading to the register. When I looked outside, I could just make out the movement of the trees across the street, but otherwise it was pitch black. I turned on the radio and started listening to a local station with its night owl DJ commenting on the heavy winds and cracking jokes between songs. Suddenly, I saw some figures in the dark. I could just make them out. They seemed to be a group of kids on bikes. There were three of them. Two of them dropped their bikes and made their way to the door where they just stood there, staring at me. I just stared back for a moment, waiting for them to come in. They never did. I moved around the counter and opened the door. What's up, guys? Out kinda late, aren't you? I asked them, expecting them to come in. Can we use your phone? When I asked her, heads tilted kinda low. I felt a little worried as I pulled myself from my pocket and offered it to her. Sure. She looked at me, and then I saw her eyes. They were solid black, almost like ink, filled orbs. No, I need the real one. She said, her face twisted into an angry snarl. I pulled the door closed and flipped the locks. No, no, ma'am. You go home and get your mom's phone. They stared at me through the door for a minute longer before turning away and biking off. The next day, I had my boss check the cameras to get the pictures of the creepy kids, but the cameras had been off the whole time. Now the cameras run off the generator instead of the hall lights. I never saw the kids again. Three roommates and I went over to a friend's apartment not far from campus, but on a set of apartments in the middle of nowhere. We were just sitting in the living room, watching TV, and I got up to go put a glass in the sink. Know how there is usually a window over the sink in most kitchens. So I'm washing this glass out. The light is on. There are no blinds on the window, just a curtain. I hear a sound at the window and I look up just in time to see a hand hit the glass flat. I was like twenty years old, but I know I must have squealed or did some kind of girly scream and the other three dudes came running in. I told them someone hit the glass. My buddy grabs his hunting rifle and we run outside. By this time, sixty seconds have probably already passed. We get outside and all we see is a bucket laying sideways under the window, along with a screen. There was a visible handprint on the window. Break down. Someone got a bucket to stand on, took the screen off the window and was trying to open it, when the bucket must have flipped from under them. Outside looking in, you could see through the kitchen and into the living room where we were sitting. This person would have easily seen me standing there, literally three feet from them on the other side of the window. There were four college-age guys inside, and this person was still trying to break in. One day in 2003, I was walking down a bike path in the back of my house with my stepdaughter when I saw two boys leaning against their bikes up ahead. I didn't really think much about it since it is a bike path until one of the kids raised his head up and looked me straight in the eye. That's when fear struck me so hard I was stopped dead in my tracks. His eyes were black and hollow like he didn't have a soul. It was like looking at pure evil. At least that's the way I described it when I recounted the incident later that evening to my husband and my other daughter. I immediately led my stepdaughter off the path, cut through someone's yard and walked out to the street. I didn't know what I had encountered at the time, but now I'm quite sure it was the black-eyed children. I don't know what they are, but I know they are dangerous. It was so weird I thought that my stepdaughter would also be aware of what I perceived to be impending danger, but she was completely oblivious, even when I led her off the path and onto the street. I somehow knew I had to get out of there now. Surprisingly, they appeared normal in every other aspect except for the eyes, of course, and a vague awareness that they didn't quite fit into the environment. I only saw the eyes of one of them because the other kid had his back on me. He looked to be around 13 or 14, flannel shirt and jeans, and a swarthy complexion. Now that I've been reading about these encounters, it piques my curiosity, but I wouldn't want to run into them again. Last year, I was on an outward-bound trip in the Rockies on a 14-day expedition. In case you guys aren't hip to the outward-bound course, there is a solo about three-quarters the way through the trip, which is pretty much you're in your own area out of eyeshot and hearing range of other group members for a set amount of time. This expedition had a two-day one, so on day 11 or so we stopped to do ours. Mind you, this is a nine-day hike from the closest base camp, and we went about a mile off the rugged trail we were taking to set up. I woke up on the second day of the solo and looked out of my tarp and saw a guy about twenty feet away in a solid cherry red hoodie with the hood drawstrings fully pulled, so his face was entirely covered. I figured this was one of the instructors because they go around sometime on the second day to check on us, so I waved at him and smiled. He then took off uphill, and I lost sight in the trees. Come the next day when we were all back and talking about it? I asked which of the instructors had the red hoodie. Turns out neither of them did. There was a man ten thousand feet up a mountain in the middle of the woods who walked by me sleeping in a tent. It had potential to go pretty awry. Not my story, but... One my family has shared with me is they are close with one of our fellow reservation officers. My uncle, a police officer on the Navajo reservation, was out in his squad car, patrolling the area when he comes across something moving in the shadows of the Mesa. He slowed down to get a better look at what was out during patrol hours, and what emerged from the shadows was not any kind of animal my family has seen before. It stood on its hind legs, just like a man but its body resembled that of a canine. It had long arms that dragged along the ground as it walked towards my uncle's patrol vehicle. The strangest part about this creature were its eyes. They were just these large yellow orbs, and they glowed in the complete darkness with no additional light sources around. My uncle described these orbs similar to headlights while looking at them head. On. At first he thought he might have come across some sort of demon, So he quickly checked his weapons, firing at this creature. The gunfire did nothing to stop this thing's progression. It continued its steady march towards my uncle, unfazed by blunt force or loss of blood. It took several more shots until the creature slumped over and disappeared from view in a cloud of dust. "'My uncle got out of his car cautiously, gun drawn, "'but could find no sign of the thing he had tried to kill, "'only some large canine tracks leading back up onto the Mesa "'where it stood before continuing into a cave "'that supposedly had been closed off for safety reasons "'due to a large rock slide. "'Decades ago, he continued to search but found nothing. "'The next day, my uncle went back to the area "'and noticed a small patch of gravel "'where he had shot this creature.' The only explanation for this is that the thing dragged out the rocks from its chest and took them back with it to its den in order to use these rocks to somehow patch itself up. As of now, my uncle has since been suspended from his job for misconduct and due to firing his weapon without authorization while on duty. He claims he saw a skinwalker, and I believe him, especially after what happened in New Mexico. Even if there isn't much we can do about it now, they're practically extinct. If you read this, please help us by getting rid of all these things before everybody starts trying to go out and find these things themselves. The world needs much less of these creatures, not more of them. As soon as I turned 18, my parents demanded that I got a job. When three months passed, I was still unemployed. They went out and did it for me. I got hired at my family's ranger business, supplied places with rangers, and we'd go out and protect the park for however long the rangers' owners could pay. I started in early winter. I was cold all the time. The job I was working at did not start until about nine at night, or at least my shift didn't. I had to work until nine in the morning, twelve hours, five days a week. The pay was all right. It was my first day at a new park, a ski resort, and they had hired rangers to act as security. We weren't really as qualified, but my family didn't have the greatest moral compass, so to speak. I started my shift. I talked with a little guy at the front and said it was slow. Not much happening. I was glad to hear this, sitting inside and doing nothing for twelve hours. That's what I'd normally be doing anyway. I went inside and met the guy I'd be working with. We'll call him Freddie. He was reading the paper and drinking coffee. First day, he'd ask. Well, I never worked at this place before, but I've been working with Tony for quite a while. It's a good business. I trust him. He responded with a little chuckle and went back to sipping his coffee. Nothing happened for a couple of hours. We sat back and relaxed, talked about our lives, and even got into a funny conversation about my uncle. About three hours in, we heard a loud banging at the door. Freddy got up to open it. There was nothing there aside from a trail in the snow leading to the door. There wasn't much we could think about it, maybe a bird or an animal, and I don't know, Freddy said, getting back to his seat. I thought it was a bit weird for a bird to slam into the door fast enough to make a bang that loud and still somehow get back up and walk out of sight. I didn't say anything, I just shrugged whatever. After even more sitting and talking, Freddy got up and said that he was going to go use the bathroom. He jokingly asked if I could hold down the fort, then went outside to use the restroom. I leaned back in my chair quietly singing a Billy Joel song that had been stuck in my head. When Freddie basically kicked the door unholding holding his hand, it was cut up and bleeding badly. I did not think to ask questions, so I shot up, ran to the first aid cabinet, grabbed the wrap, and put it around his arm. What happened out there? I'd ask him. He looked at my eyes and opened his mouth. There was another super loud bang on the door. I rushed to the door and locked it. I didn't know what was out there, but I did not feel like waiting for it to realize the door was open. Freddy was screaming in pain. I wrapped his wounds, but it wouldn't keep up forever. I went over to the phone. I picked it up. It called an ambulance. I explained that something attacked my co-worker. They asked what. I told them I don't know, and they gave me a half-assed we'll send somebody, and I hung up. They asked to stay on the line with them, but I didn't see how that would stop Freddy from bleeding out. Freddy slumped down, leaning against the table in the room. I slapped his face slightly to keep him awake. Freddy who did this. He cleaned his eyes and couldn't be bothered to keep his head anymore. He was out. His cut was worse than I thought, and the ambulance needed to come very quickly. As I put a blanket on him, another loud bang at the window made me jump. I looked back, and there was a bloody hand on the window. It was a man, and he was begging to be let in. I ran over to the door and unlocked it. I went to the side where he was at, and I didn't see him. Did he run around? I looked down, and my jaw dropped. Right where he was standing was a trail of blood in the snow going around the wall. I broke out of my shock, turning the corner, and there were the culprits and just one wolf. But I knew he wasn't the only one there. We both stood there looking at each other. He snarled, and I gulped. I knew the time it took me to get to the door was a lot less than it took him to get to me. I didn't want to risk it, just in case. I kept standing there. He took a step back. Maybe he's leaving, I thought to calm myself down. But he did not leave. He took a step back and howled and knowing what was coming. I ran to the door. He stopped. He lunged, biting into the flesh of my leg. I screamed out in pain. But at least he wasn't calling the others back. Or so I thought. He started to tear flesh. And I foolishly attempted to shake him off. He was on there tight, ripping. I tried to push him off but his teeth only sunk in deeper. Now I'd put my right hand between my leg and the roof of his mouth, prying his teeth. I limped inside, slamming the door shut. I could see him, these loud bone noises popping and seeing him now stand up on two legs, looking at me through the door. How I was lucky I had survived. I wasn't sure what to do. I was bleeding out pretty bad and the only gun I had was in my Jeep that was left outside. That's when I saw more of these things. They were upright, walking wolves, and they were pacing around this place, moving back and forth, looking in the windows, waiting for one of us to come out. I sat there next to Freddy, holding him, holding myself, trying to keep myself conscious. I was bleeding pretty bad, and these things were out there. I counted at least three of them, three of the largest wolves I'd ever seen in my life. What was going on? As I remember things starting to fade, I couldn't tell you what happened next but the door burst open, and several EMTs rushed in, attending to myself and Freddy. They loaded me up on a stretcher, threw me in the ambulance, and the next thing I know, I'm being patched up. After this, I never heard from Freddy again, and I was quickly removed from that location and reassigned to a different one altogether. I was told nothing. I was not allowed to ask questions, and even now I live with a nightmare. A nightmare of strange, violent wolves. And had I not made it back inside, I would have been torn to pieces. This wasn't necessarily a lot of...
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen
1: When I was 23 I was a dock end for a boat rental club. I bought myself a 27 feet Catalina sailboat and lived on it at the docks for about a year while I worked for the boat club. I would often get toasted on 101 proof peppermint snaps and go joy sailing late at night on the Chesapeake Bay for kicks. My main sail tears and my atomic four engine breaks down. I drift out of the channel drop anchor, plug in my back, up batteries for power for my anchor light, in bed down in my forward berth to wait until morning for one of my co-workers to tow me back in. I'm about a mile offshore, well out of the channel in about 60 feet of open water, when I hear a rhythmic thudding on my hull beneath me. It was like someone was doing a semi-fast snare, rolled with closed fists against my hull. There was nothing in my head that I could figure could make that noise happen, besides someone diving under by boat and literally beating on it. I went topside with my flashlight to investigate and couldn't see anything out of the ordinary, and the sound continued on and off for about fifteen minutes, then stopped. It was a calm night, with nearly no wind or waves at this point, and I visually couldn't see what could have been making the noise. It came from midship so it couldn't be the motor being weird or something and I checked my bilges for any anomalies and couldn't find any. It left me pretty shaken up because I just couldn't figure what could make that sound as loudly and as precisely as it was. I could feel the bumps hitting against the fiberglass hull. I eventually got back to sleep and made it back to the docks next morning. I dove on my boat that day to check for anything amiss and didn't find anything off. Needless to say, that was the last time I went out alone at night. i had always been drawn to the wilderness, the quiet solitude of the forest, the thrill of the hunt. It was a primal calling that had been ingrained in me since childhood, and no matter how much the world around me changed, the wilderness remained my sanctuary. So when the opportunity arose for a weekend hunting trip deep into the heart of a supposedly haunted forest in New Mexico, I couldn't resist the challenge. The forest was known by locals as El Bosque Encantado. The enchanted forest and tales of strange happenings had swirled around it for generations. Disappearances, eerie lights, and unsettling whispers were just some of the stories that made brave hunters and curious adventurers approach it with caution. But I, Larry, was never one to back down from a challenge. Armed with my trusty rifle and a backpack filled with supplies, I ventured into the heart of this enigmatic woodland. The forest swallowed me whole as I ventured deeper into its depths, the trees towering above me like ancient sentinels. It was a dense, dark labyrinth that seemed to absorb sound and light, casting an eerie gloom over everything. The air was thick with tension, and even the soft rustling of leaves sent shivers down my spine. As I stalked my prey, a majestic buck that would be the envy of every hunter, I began to notice strange occurrences. My compass spun wildly, refusing to point in any one direction, rendering it useless in this maze of trees. The wind seemed to whisper secrets in a language I couldn't understand, and shadows moved in the periphery of my vision just beyond reach. I chalked it up to fatigue and the natural unease that often accompanies solitary hunting trips. But as the hours passed, the phenomena escalated. Strange symbols etched into the bark of trees glowing with an otherworldly light appeared before me, guiding me deeper into the heart of the forest. It was as if some invisible force was luring me further into its clutches. Night descended upon the forest, and the darkness was absolute. The usual sounds of nocturnal creatures were absent, replaced by a profound stillness that sent a shiver down my spine. My campfire provided little comfort as I sat with my back to a massive tree, my rifle clutched tightly in my trembling hand. That's when I saw it, a figure, or perhaps a shadow, moving among the trees. It was neither human nor animal, its shape shifting and ethereal. I felt a cold sweat break out on my brow as a deep sense of dread washed over me. It was as if the very forest itself had taken form to challenge my presence. I raised my rifle, aiming at the elusive figure, but it seemed to dissipate like smoke, reappearing at will. Panic seized me, and I fired wildly into the night. The forest answered with eerie laughter, echoing through the trees like a mocking chorus. Terrified and disoriented, I fled through the dark woods, guided only by instinct. The forest seemed to shift and change around me, as if the very earth beneath my feet was a living, malevolent force. I stumbled upon a clearing, bathed in the pale light of the moon, and collapsed onto the ground, gasping for breath. As dawn broke, I emerged from the enchanted forest. Battered and shaken, my mind filled with the haunting memories of that dreadful night. I had survived, but I had witnessed things that defied all logic and reason. The haunted forest had tested my beliefs, my courage, and my very understanding of the natural world. I returned home, haunted by the supernatural experiences I had endured, and struggled to find the words to share my ordeal with others. They would never understand the terror I had faced in that dense, haunted wilderness, where the line between reality and the supernatural had blurred, and where the forest itself seemed to come alive to challenge the souls brave enough to enter its depths. A friend of mine known as Damo was an avid fisherman and he and his dad used to go out sea fishing whenever they could. A few years ago he told me this story and it creaked the hell of me so this seems like an appropriate place to tell it. Damo and his dad were on the second night of a trip deep sea fishing and they decided to get some sleep in the early evening so they could go for whatever fish they were after at around 1am. The best time to get this fish apparently. Anyway, they only had a small-ish boat, but the weather was extremely pleasant, and the sea was calm to the point of stillness, so they figured it would be a great night's fishing for them. Around 12.30 a.m., they started to set their gear up, and as they were on the starboard side getting bait ready, they heard a loud splash on the port side. As there was almost no swell, they figured it was either a large fish or some gear had somehow fallen in, so they went over to have a look floating face up in the water only a few feet from the side of the boat, was a young woman. They reckoned she couldn't have been more than about 30 at the most. She showed absolutely no signs of decomposition bloating, and there was nothing tangled in her hair, all of which would normally suggest she had been in the water for some time. She was wearing a simple white skirt and a blue-colored strappy top, both of which were clean and apparently looked barely wet. Again all indicating she had only just gone in the water. She showed no signs of damage like having been beaten or attacked, and her eyes and mouth were shut. Damo said she looked totally peaceful and like she was simply asleep and just floating on her back in the water. They were both totally freaked out by the whole thing, but reacting more to the need to make sure she was okay. Instead of just standing there trying to work out where she came from, They tried to wake her up, shouting to her, etc., and they threw a line to her, hoping they may catch her enough to pull her back in. She showed no signs of movement, and the splashing around they were making with the rope served only to let her body drift further away from the boat. When she was a few meters away, Damo ran off to grab a fishing rod, hoping they could pull her in that way, and his dad ran to the cabin to try and call a coast guard for help. When Damo got back to the side, she had vanished. He frantically searched around and splashed into the water with a rod, thinking she had bobbed underwater or even drifted under the boat somehow. But the body had vanished. Eventually, his dad, figuring they couldn't just leave a potential dead or unconscious body floating in the water, jumped in and swam over to where she had last been, hoping he may find her under the surface, but they couldn't find anything. They did eventually drive the boat around in a good half kilometer circle, but they never saw the body again. The Coast Guard did come out and obviously Damo and his dad were kind of interrogated to make sure they hadn't murdered Dump the body, but nothing came of it all. The freakiest thing about it all was that the boat was thoroughly checked before they had set out fishing the day before so they could say with certainty that there had been no woman on board when they set off either a dead body or a stowaway homeless woman the apparently fresh state of the body kind of removed the possibility that she had been in the water a while and that they just found the body and they were far enough out from land and nowhere near any other boats that her appearance there was just totally unexplainable, as was the way the body just disappeared. Damo and his dad hadn't been gone more than 20 seconds from the side of the boat, but in that time the body just vanished. They were both really shaken by the whole thing, and were most terrified by the fact that her appearance was preceded by the heavy splash in the water, to them suggesting the body had only just entered the water from their own boat. They tell the story now as a kind of you-won't-believe-what-happened-to-us-once-type thing, but it shook them badly and neither has been back to the same fishing spot since. Sorry, it's a long one, but it's so creepy it felt like it deserved to be explained fully. My son's then about seven and five, and I had planned to fish the Bretton Bush River near the 4,685 bridge as we'd camped in the area before, and they were familiar with it. We turned off R-46 onto 4,685 south, crossed the bridge, pulled over, and parked. 4,685 continues on a short way, then begins to climb. There's a dirt road that leads right west. That parallels the river immediately past where we parked. I was giving the okay. Here's how we're going to do this. Speech went a movement a little farther up the road. One hundred feet or so caught my attention. When I looked, I saw a figure I inchily thought to be a person walking across the road from left to right, but quickly realized this was out of the ordinary. The figure was approximately eight feet tall, maybe a few inches more covered with reddish-brown hair all over its body. I distinctly remember seeing muscle movement as it moved and thinking, man, that thing must be strong. I also remember its arms swinging as it walked and being too long for a human being's because its hands came down to its lower thigh level. It only had to take four or five steps to cross the road, then step down over the edge of the road into the brush. It turned and looked at us briefly as it walked. I can't honestly say I got a good look at its facial features, but I did notice that the hair color on the head and the side of the face matched the color of the body hair. When I looked at my boys, my older son was staring where I had been. My younger son didn't see it. After the shock of, did we just see a Bigfoot? Past I walked up to where the figure had walked across the road and tried to duplicate its stride. I'm five feet nine, and it took me several steps to cross the road. I went into the brush where I saw it enter and found a foot-shaped impression in some moss-covered ground that dwarfed my boot. That was enough. We decided not to do any fishing. On the way home, we stopped at the ranger station and asked if they had heard any reports of Bigfoot and learned real quickly why most people don't report their sightings. I was 17 and laying in my driveway smoking a cigarette. I was mad about something, and I said to myself, I'm so pissed off right now, if an alien ship flew above me, I would tell them to off Typical teenager shit. At the exact moment, I thought that I heard the sound of a foot scraping across the ground. I looked down, since I was laying down and saw a man with white hair and a backpack walking down my street about 20 feet from me. I lived on a cul-de-sac, and this man was not one of my neighbors. He was walking from the opening of my street toward the dead end. I watched him walk by, and he got behind my car. And I watched his feet go past my tire. I kept watching to see him walk out the other side. And I waited. And I waited. I never saw his feet walk past my tire. So at that moment, I thought he was standing at the back of my car, so I get up to confront him. Except he's gone. Poof! no man on the road. No doors opened or closed on my street, and my neighborhood was cut out of a large hill, so there was no outlet except for the end of the road. But that's where he was walking from. It scared the ever-living shit out of me. I put my cigarette out and went back inside and locked the door. I have only told a few people about this. Edit. This was at about 11 p.m. Very quiet on my block and no one outside. Though I was in a neighborhood, it felt secluded and alone. Four and a half to five years ago, I found myself in the depths of Black Bear Swamp, a remote and secluded area known for its dense vegetation and elusive wildlife. It was a place where nature reigned supreme and the boundaries between reality and the extraordinary often blurred. That day I was accompanied by my girlfriend Sarah as we embarked on a leisurely hike through the swamp. The air was thick with humidity, and the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves filled the atmosphere. We reveled in the tranquility of the untouched wilderness, blissfully unaware of the astonishing events that were about to unfold. As we made our way through the thick undergrowth, a sudden thud resonated through the air, followed by a loud crack against the trunk of a towering pine tree. Startled, Sarah turned towards me, her eyes wide with alarm. "'Did you throw that rock at me?' she accused, her voice trembling with a mix of confusion and anger. Taken aback by her accusation, I quickly denied any involvement." My mind raced, trying to comprehend what had just happened. It was impossible for me to have thrown a rock with such force and accuracy. Something else was at play. Our attention was abruptly diverted as movement caught our peripheral vision. Peering through the dense brush, we glimpsed a figure, large and hulking swiftly, making its way through the undergrowth. At first, we mistook it for a deer, but as it emerged into a clearing, the truth became undeniable. Before us stood a creature that defied explanation, a Bigfoot. Its massive frame towered over the surrounding foliage, and its dark shaggy fur blended seamlessly with the shadows. The creature moved with a grace and agility that belied its immense size. It cast a glance in our direction, its piercing eyes seeming to hold a hint of intelligence and curiosity. He just stared at us for a minute and disappeared into wilderness. I worked in New York Harbor for quite a few years on tugboats assisting large ships in and out of the harbor. I work offshore now and unfortunately haven't seen anything too creepy out here. To set this up, spoiler being that it's not supernatural, New York Harbor is busy. All commercial boats communicate with each other on one VHF station. If you're interested, get a VHF handheld and tune into VHF 13 sometime where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to meet, etc. Everyone uses this station. Rugs, badges, ships, ferries, coast guard, well-crewed, yachts, etc. So it's jam-packed, always squaking. Pretty annoying sometimes. I came into work a day after Hurricane Sandy hit New York. Disregarding the hazards of driving the roads on Staten Island where the boats are stationed, The entire harbor was shut down due to fears of debris and shoaling caused by the storm surge. For the next week, I sat on the boat getting paid, waiting for the harbor to open. The point I'm getting to is that the radio was dead silent. One of the busiest and congested waterways in the United States, and nobody was moving. Nobody was talking. You could turn the interference rejection all the way down. The volume all the way up and only hear a faint background buzz. It just felt wrong, unnatural, a bit of a post-apocalyptic vibe. Anyway, that's my creepy sea-related story. During about five hours of babysitting, I drank a six-pack of 5% ABV seltzers. I am not a day one drinker. It was just a regular night, and I did not make any mistakes due to said seltzers, nor was I drunk. Now, if you are under the understanding that the common person doesn't typically hallucinate or mess up too bad with around one strawberry lemonade seltzer, every 45 minutes then I can carry on, and you can read. But if you can do nothing but automatically prejudge my story over said disclaimer, don't bother. And yes, this will be relevant to the end of the story, moving along. So in a very woodsy state in the United States I used to live in, I knew a hippie couple that would pay me and my now ex to babysit sometimes. It was about 20 minutes into the woods. There were houses on the way, but all pretty far apart. These friends lived up a hill that was about a one-minute drive, and had two neighbors but not anywhere close enough to hear them. On this night, I went up there by myself. They paid good money to babysit It awesome, well-behaved kids, and their property was gorgeous. So it was always a treat go up there. I didn't know how to lock their front door, but I always felt safe cuz. I was like it would come all the way up here. Guess I might have been wrong. So the evening went normally until the end. The kids played outside a bit, and I watched them. They went on to watch TV, and I put a tuna casserole in the oven their mom had prepped. I went to do some dishes while they chilled because I said I would clean the house the day before, also a paying gig, and I didn't come through for that, so I wanted to surprise the parents. Pretty soon after, the kids needed to get ready for bed. One could brush her teeth, and the other still needed his brushed. So I did that, and I I think they just put on pajamas, and I went to grab a quick drink from the kitchen. Here's where it gets weird. Again, no neighbors close. Between the bathroom and the kitchen, there was a back door. I heard a woman talking very close to the window as if she was talking to someone else. The TV was off, and I don't put on headphones or a speaker around other people, so it was none of those things. I assumed I didn't hear their parents pull up and they were talking outside. So I opened the back door and called out their names, but it was pitch black and silent. I immediately felt alarmed. I put the kids to bed and said I will be right back, and if they are still awake, I will read them a story. I went outside and sounded a drill I happened to see by the door and said if anyone has a bone to pick, I'm right here and come get it. Mind you, even a good cop was at least 20 minutes out, and I had two other lives to protect. Call me bonkers, but again I heard people in the woods, and I have no history of mental illness or drug abuse. So yeah, I heard what I heard. With how shaken up I was, I knew something had to be wrong. Parents returned shortly after. Mom seemed calm. Dad said he thinks I drank too much, and he believes I thought I heard something. He said his kids did not hear me outside when I came out warning whoever was out there. I closed the door so they wouldn't hear me and the kids said the night went well. Despite this, he thinks I scared them and drank too much and never had me babysit again. I think I did the right thing. One of my aunts recently passed away at 92 years of age. My cousin has been her caregiver for the past four years. He promised her he'd never put her in a nursing home. He doted on her and kept her clean and comfortable until she passed away at home. The evening she died, he was monitoring her vitals and listening to her heart with a stethoscope and heard her take her final breath. As he stood up from her bedside, he caught a glimpse of movement at the nearby bathroom door. He saw his mom in a flowing white dress, looking much younger and almost transparent. She looked at him and said, thank you and faded away. We will be attending her celebration of life this weekend. I grew up in the late nineties, early two thousands. I spent a lot of time outside and I loved all animals including bugs, frogs, and lizards, etc. My little brother played a lot of sports, so on weekends I was always dragged to his games, and after school I often had to attend his practices. It was soccer season, and I had to go with my mom to one of my brother's soccer practices after school on this day. I was probably, faint Mile, eight or nine at the time. It was at a local park surrounded by some wilderness and some hiking trails. I liked this park because off to the side of the soccer fields was a creek with frogs and stuff. I'd love to go over there and look at them and try to catch them, etc. It was evening time and the sun was setting, but there was still plenty of light left. I told my mom I was going to go down to the creek to catch frogs. It was down the hill slightly from the fields and obscured by some bushes and shrubs. But there was a clear dirt trail that ran alongside the creek. So I scurried on down there and was carefully studying the creek looking for frogs. When suddenly a man's voice startles me, "What whatcha looking for? I look up and see a middle-aged man dressed in typical office. Business wear, button-up shirt, slacks, dress shoes... He was standing on the trail, blocking my route back up to the soccer fields, looking at me and smiling. I was a shy and cautious child, so I just looked at the man and didn't reply at first. My spidey senses were already tingling, and I remember feeling nervous and uneasy. I sometimes saw hikers on the trail by the creek, but his outfit and appearance told me this wasn't a hiker. He then asked me, "'Are you looking for butterflies?' I saw some down there as he points further down the trail, away from the soccer fields. I just said no and started looking around at what my options were. I felt the need to get out of there fast. But as I mentioned, he was standing on the trail, which was my route back to the fields. There were thick bushes on the hillside between the trail and where the fields were. I started making my way up the rocks to the side of the creek towards the trail, further down from where he stood. And to my alarm, he started moving down the trail toward me. Need some help. He said, I was now starting to panic, although nothing had happened. and He seemed friendly. It just felt wrong to me. I just got stranger danger vibes. I remember feeling a burst of adrenaline and fear. I shouted no and booked it up the rocks across the trail and crashed my way through the bushes towards the soccer fields. I remember the branches scratching me. But I didn't care. I literally scrambled my way through them till I came up to the fields and then sprinted over to where my mom just being paranoid, though. I'll never know if this guy posed a real threat or not. He could have been just getting some fresh air on his way home from work. Who knows? I just know it felt creepy at the time. About ten years ago, I was home alone, sitting in the den, watching TV. The doorway to the den opened up into a hallway, and just across the hallway, and offset a little ways, was the doorway that went into the kitchen. Sitting in my recliner, I could see into the hallway, and if I leaned back enough, I could see part way into the kitchen. So anyway, I'm sitting there watching TV, and I hear something. I look into the hallway, and don't laugh there's a pecan rolling down the hallway. My first reaction is there's someone in the kitchen messing with me. I lean back and look into the kitchen. There's no one there. On the far side of the kitchen is another door that goes into another hallway that if you take a right, it goes out back. A left will take you out front into the carport. I get up and go look. Both doors are shut and locked and no one around. I picked up the pecan. Put it back in the bucket which was setting in the hallway by the back door and go back to my recliner. Few minutes later another pikin goes rolling down the hallway. I bolted out of my chair like my butt was on fire trying to catch whoever was doing it. Same story, no one around but me and both doors were still shut and locked. Now I guess is the time to say I'm not a believer in ghosts but I'm having second thoughts. I put the pecan back in the bucket, check the doors one more time, and go back to my chair. Just a few more minutes in my chair, and another pecan goes rolling down the hallway. I get up, go pick up the pecan, and outload. I said, okay, I'm tired of picking up your shit. Stop it now. I put the pecan back in the bucket, went back to my chair, and nothing ever happened again. To this day, I still don't know what was doing it. My youngest daughter swears the house was haunted. She claims to have woken up in the middle of the night with someone, a man standing at the foot of her bed watching her. He was dressed in a Civil War uniform. I never asked her if he was from the north or south. She said he never made any attempt to harm her. She'd just put her head under the covers, and after a few minutes he'd be gone, but it happened enough that it spooked her pretty good. Her bedroom was upstairs. She wouldn't go to her bedroom at night if she was the only one at home. Instead, she'd stay in the living room with every light in the house on and the front door open for a fast getaway.